Is this a party or what? This the big bad sound. Take it out. Hi everyone, welcome back to Wiggling Podcast with Celine and Alicia. Today we're talking about colorism and we have a very special guest, Alexis Tolbert. Hi everyone. So tell us a bit about yourself, Alexis. Um, so I am from the US. I was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, which is right in the Midwest. And I just graduated from Carleton College with my BS in psychology and a minor in Africana studies. Yeah. I'm super exactly. excited to be here with y'all today. Well, virtually. But. <laughs> <laughs> we're happy to have you. Yes, of course. We really wanted to have like an American perspective today in this episode just to, you know, diversify our views and what we talk about. So yeah, thanks for joining us. Of course. And for this episode, we're going to be highlighting the Bahamian Bistro. So we I, we went there recently, actually, and it was incredible. So it's this it's called a uh, what's it called a multi restaurant, and they have like eight or nine different vendors like mm-hmm. in one location. Mm-hmm. And what do we get located? Oh, it's located on Christie Street off Shirley Street, like right opposite um, Commonwealth Bank. Bahamians um, only <laughs> will yeah, understand her. Um, <laughs> so it's like, it was really pretty. I said this colorful little building and you could like order online. It's really cool because you can order online or you can go in there, I think. And then you can select food from whatever vendors you want. And then they put it all on one bill. Right. And that was great. That what cool. did you think about the food? Yeah, I thought the food was really good. We got um, some sushi, uh, some drinks, cocktails that were really good. We got, um, what did we get, a conch dinner? Mm-hmm. We got a crock conch dinner. That was good. Ooh, period. Yeah. yeah, so that was really good, I think. And a burrito. Oh, we got yes. this crack chicken burrito. They have, like, these crack chicken dinner burrito. burritos. Like, they have crack chicken burrito and crack conch burrito, and it's like, it's like the chicken, peas and rice, coleslaw, plantain, all oh, in a burrito. burrito. That sounds amazing. <laughs> right? So we had that. It was actually, I thought it was going to be nasty because, you know, the plantain, it's kind of soft, the coleslaw, mm-hmm. like wet. Everything's soft. it was just going to be mushy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, right? But and it was good. It was good. It was good. I would yeah. give it like, I would give it a nine, nine. out of ten. Yeah. And we had Sky Juice and that was hype, so. Oh, the Sky Juice was, I think, my favorite thing. Yeah. It was so they good. put something in that, like some seasoning, some, I think they put like cinnamon and nutmeg or something in it. That's usually what's in Sky Juice. Yeah. But that was good. Yeah. Check out Bahamian Bistro. Um, that's the plug we're putting y'all on. So go eat there. So, yes. So as Lucy said, today we're going to be talking about colorism. And for our audience to define colorism, the dictionary says that it's the differential treatment based on skin color, especially favoritism towards those of a lighter skin tone and mistreatment or exclusion of those with a darker skin tone, typically among those of the same racial group or ethnicity. So I found this really interesting quote from a Times article and I'll link it when we post this. Um, And it says that it cannot be overstated that if racism didn't exist, a discussion about varying skin hues would simply be a conversation about aesthetics, but that's not the case. The privileging of light skin over dark is at the root of an ill known as colorism. So basically the idea that 
without racism in our society, colorism would not exist. So we can't talk about one without the other. Yeah. And we wanted to give a disclaimer today that, you know, we will be talking about colorism within the black community because that's our experience and what we can speak on. And yes. And we're not experts on this topic. I mean, I'm only coming with my own opinions and my own experience, so I can't really speak for anybody else, but I think that's important to claim. Yeah, yeah. And we really wanted to bring on Alexis for today's episode, so it's not just Bahamian-centered, and we can get an American perspective on colorism. Mm -hmm. To start it off, we should talk about how we've each personally been affected by colorism. For me, I experienced colorism from a really young age. I consider myself to be a dark-skinned woman. I'm not, like, the darkest, but I also, like, am the darkest of my family. So for me, like, having a light-skinned mother or lighter-skinned, brown-skinned mother and lighter-skinned brothers as well, it was just very obvious that I was different. I remember just being in school and seeing really early on that little girls with lighter skin um, just were treated differently, were spoken to differently, got more attention. Um, the jokes towards them were different. I think every little girl like gets joked on, but I think when you're a dark-skinned girl, um, your skin becomes like the center of attention or becomes the one thing that people um, can always feel like they can comment on. But at the same time, like in my family, I never really, even though I noticed like a physical difference because my father is dark skinned and because like my grandmother, for example, has darker skin, um, it was never pointed out to me as a bad thing. Like I was complimented a lot. as a child and I never, most of the pressures came from school. So I remember like really early on in like lower and middle school wanting to be mixed so bad or like trying to like find out like if there was any way I could be mixed with something because like that was the thing. And I think a lot of that does root back to colorism because when you do have lighter skin, the assumption is that you are mixed. And so those things end up being paired together often um and so all of that in my childhood kind of gave me the wrong impression of like what I should think or believe about the color of my skin but as I got older like in high school I kind of just stopped caring like I think I still kind of had or had at the time like a sort of like dysphoria about what color my skin even was which seems weird because you look in the mirror every day but like I would always be comparing myself to other people, like, am I darker than this person? Or like, okay, maybe I'm not that dark. Or trying to make certain exemptions or whatever about my, like the color of my skin. And then also like when I started wearing makeup, thinking about like like literal shades, like, okay, this person uses this shade or this friend uses this shade. Oh snap, like my shade is this much darker than hers or whatever it may be. So like, For me, while I don't think that colorism like really ruined my perception of myself, it certainly did like change like how I see myself and changed, you know, like, I don't know, like my perception of myself for a really long time. So I think it it does hit home and it is like a really personal thing. I totally identify with what you mean about like outside pressures because at home I was never really 
like aware that, oh, I'm of a darker skin color than a lot of people or that I should be treated differently because of that. Because me and my family are kind of around the same like skin tone. Um, but I know that when I went to school, the main thing that I was super insecure about was my hair because mm-hmm. I had a lot of like lighter skin friends and they had like looser hair texture. And I've always been told that I had like bad hair, always had my hair relaxed. And then I remember when I cut my hair in the seventh grade and I like went natural and I came to school with an afro, worst day of my life and like immediately texturized my hair. And I did like a texturizer because I was like, oh, maybe this will like loosen my curl pattern and then I'll have good hair. Because when everyone was going natural at that point, it was like people who had looser hair textures. Like no one had like tight curls like I did. So I was like, mm-hmm. I must have like done it the wrong way or like my hair is like wrong in some mm-hmm. sort of way. So I think that was a big part of it for me. Also, I hated being in the sun because I was afraid of getting darker when I was a child. And like people used to tell me like, oh, well don't stay out in the sun too long or also get dark. And I'm like, thinking back and like, what what's wrong with that? I love when I get tanned when I'm at home. Um, so I think definitely something that I internalized because I think childhood Celine seeing me with natural hair would be completely shocked, but also very happy because I never thought that I would want to go natural and be comfortable wearing my own hair because I thought I had bad hair, but all hair is good hair. It's something that I've learned. Um, but yeah, I've definitely not suffered, but I've gone through um, internalized colorism because of the people who I was surrounded with. Yeah, I can definitely relate to the like, don't stay out in the sun too long. Actually, my mom used to say that to me, like, as a kid, I loved playing outside, but um, Alicia knows I tan, tan, I brown, I darken, (laughs) I I, like darken really easily. I can be outside for 10 minutes and come in like two shades darker. And so anytime, especially in the summer, I'd go outside and my mom be like, ooh, like you need to stay inside for a few days or say those little comments. Yeah. Uh, that make it be like, oh, well, this is bad. Like, or yeah. when you go outside trying to like, you know, cover your skin more so you don't get darker. Those weird things that kids shouldn't have to worry so much about. So I had two questions that I wanted to ask you both. Um, so Alexis, I was really curious Um, when you shared about your experience with comparing yourself to other people like Mm -hmm. even if it was something with like you said comparing makeup shades for example so I just wanted to know like you may not have an answer to this question but what was the you know what was the purpose I guess or what was it that led you to want to make those comparisons or like what were you seeking through those comparisons that you made So for me, and it sounds really weird to say like right now, but I was literally just trying to figure out what color my skin actually was because for the first, for more of my life than not, I was trying to convince myself that I wasn't that dark. And so when I was doing that, I was kind of morphing my perception because I would look at my father or my little sister who I always thought were so much darker than me because I was just like, oh, like, you know, people make more jokes about them and they're always calling my dad Blackie and they're saying that he looks like this and looks like that. Um, And people don't say that much stuff about me, so I must not be that dark. Or I'd be like, well, if my mom is lighter skinned and my dad is darker skinned and that puts me somewhere in the middle. And so for me, um, once I got older, especially like in college, um, I could not figure out what color my skin actually was because I felt like the way that I was seeing myself 
wasn't the way that I was like perceived by anybody else besides myself. And so as I got older and continued to do those comparisons, even though I had kind of, I guess, overcome this idea that being darker was worse or and somehow bad, I felt like I was in a good place with the way that I looked. However, I just had no idea if I was mahogany or, or toffee or what my skin actually looked like. And so I think now today, um, I have a better idea, but I still kind of have like a, like I kind of said earlier, like a dysphoria around how I look or what color my skin is. Um, so it's weird. Mm. But for me, I think that was the motive behind that. And I think it kind of helped me to see other people and be like, that is my skin color. Like this is the person that's wearing this shade. This shade matches me perfectly. So that is what my skin is like. Mm -hmm. Or even if I say I'm darker than this person, I'm like, okay, I'm around this shade or I'm this or that, which I guess kind of makes me feel like I understand what I'm looking at when I look in the mirror, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. I know it sounds a little weird, but. <laughs> no, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I also think the fact that I even had to do that is like, a function of colorism and it's kind of just like sick how it is so prevalent that you can't even see yourself for you literally cannot see yourself for who you are so yeah yeah it's it's, it's bad because yeah. like yeah. you said there's just so many other things that are like influencing your perception of yourself yeah and your perception is all that you have like nobody sees anything as they are you see things the way you perceive them so you know, there's so much emotion behind perception and there's so much, it's not just like what your eyes receive, it's what you add to what you're seeing to make it uh, real for you, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And well, thank you for sharing, Alexis. Yeah. And Celine, and I, <laughs> my facilitation. <laughs> Celine, I work sharing. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> so what was it that led you to, you know, change your perception of your hair? And what, what drove that transition of you perceiving your hair as like bad to good? I think it's a combination of two things. One, it was a lack of representation and a lack of self-esteem when I thought my hair was bad. And I guess the transition is more representation and confidence that when I got older, that I was more confident in myself and how I looked. Um, mm -hmm. But definitely, because like, when you look at like natural hair YouTube, when it first came out, it's just lighter skinned women with loose textured hair. So I always mm -hmm. just thought, well, my hair must, something must be wrong because my hair doesn't look like that. And I think once I found people that had similar hair texture to me, um, that were kind of the same complexion, use the same products, I kind of gained more confidence because I remember when I cut my hair the second time, I still was like, I don't know what to do with my hair. Even like my mom didn't really know what to do because as a child, um, she used to like throw my hair in like eight puffs and send me to school. And that was my <laughs> hairstyle. But so like we were both kind of at a loss when I first cut my hair, but then I discovered like protective styling and that was something I could do until my hair like grew up to a length where I kind of knew what to do with it but definitely confidence and it's been a whole journey because I still have days where I'm like mm, not happy with my hair today so I'm not going to go outside but it's definitely like something that I've gotten better at because I would go outside like this and I have mm. these weird twists in my head <laughs> mm -hmm. um 
but yeah it's definitely not something that came easy because I mean I've been natural for like maybe four years now and like at the beginning I was like what if I just relax my hair because it's just something that I guess that's also like a huge thing with the perpetuation of Eurocentric standards of beauty where straighter hair is something that's more desirable so I was like oh well if I relax my hair maybe more people will like me that's also a thing that I dealt with like why some for some reason my like self-worth was defined by whether or not other people liked me and I thought that all, people would like me more if I had looser hair because that's what I thought was pretty but definitely as I got older that shifted because I became more confident in myself as a person and accepting my looks and who I am for what they are and like loving myself essentially yeah can I ask a follow-up question yeah so um so I'm really glad Selena you brought up this whole issue of hair because I feel like this like argument about like good hair versus bad hair is just like so so tightly connected to colorism and like I know that there are people that are lighter skinned that have um like um more coily or coarse hair and I know that there are darker skinned people with looser curls and a softer texture but um, Celine, could you just talk a little bit more about like how colorism and like the argue, the hair argument intersect and how like colorism perpetuates all those things that tell you that your hair is bad? Like for example, like if you have darker skin, you already might be subject to a lower self-esteem because people are always talking about your skin color. So that makes you have to do more to change other things about yourself to like fit the mold but do you have other examples of like how those two become so connected that's a good question I think a lot of that is like historically based in racism and you know I think society where mixed race people were seen as closer to whiteness and therefore favored in that um very racist system that still happens in America as well as um, the Caribbean but I think a lot of that like hair texture and colorism is linked is based on the idea that Afrocentric features, phenotypical features. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think the fact that um, Afrocentric features have just never been represented as something that's beautiful in magazines because Eurocentric features are valued way more in society. And I think there, even though there's been some change, not enough, honestly, because I think even in turn, I guess we'll talk about this later, but even in terms of like representation in media, if there is a black person on a television show or on a magazine, they're gonna be lighter skinned and have um, looser hair texture because that's what's like palpable for a white audience. You know what I mean? It's like black people mm -hmm. exist to be perceived in a good way for white people when, instead mm -hmm. of just existing for who they are. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. And what way, I mean, not really related, but what you just said made me think of something like, even if there is a darker skinned woman in like a TV show or something and say, you can say they, they let like this character wears her hair natural. I feel like that character will by default fit into a different like mold. If you know what I mean? Like if, if there's a, I don't know if there's a character like if a there's a, a black like a character with if there's a, a dark skin black woman character on a tv show and she has natural hair I feel like 
in that show she will be represented in a more negative light do you know like and like, in a way which kind of like associates characteristics to that woman even just wearing her hair in that way yeah mm-hmm. that literally just made me think i don't know if either of you watch how to get away with murder yeah um, yeah with um viola, viola davis I, I think it's the last season you know in the previous season she wears this like straight wig whatever but at the end like she has this moment where she like wears her natural hair and it's just like this moment of okay now she's like super powerful and now she's like you know this transformed person and i think that like it's an interesting thing because it's like one i think it uses natural hair to be like okay like now she's unlocked this like next level but at the same time it's just like why couldn't she have had natural hair before or like yeah why is it now that she's like this superwoman or that she's you know made all these great changes because now her hair is natural yeah and i think that also kind of like suggests that you know in order for her to achieve the success that she did as a lawyer like she had to have the straight wig and you know to make herself more palatable to all the white people surrounding her because you can assume that if she had natural hair the whole time she would not have been miss annalise keating she would have i don't know it would just yeah. wouldn't have turned out you can assume that it just wouldn't have turned out the same way that she just i think know. it's weird that not weird but i have this weird conflict where natural hair has to be like a symbol of something like why can't my like hair just be yeah. my hair you know what i mean like yeah. me cutting my hair isn't this like oh i'm making a statement to society about blah 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 right maybe it's like ooh, maybe i want healthy hair you know <laughs> i don't think hair always has to stand for something but then again sometimes hair is symbolic of someone's growth and it was symbolic for a lot of black people during like nationalist movements in america so i think mm-hmm. you know there are two sides to that story yeah alexis do you have an answer to the question that you asked yeah about the links between like hair and colorism mm-hmm. i don't know i think selena is really hitting the nail right on the head like i agree with everything that you've said and um yeah i don't know that i really have much more to add i really love this last point of like hair not being a symbol in the way that your skin isn't a symbol like being now we have this moment of like you know whatever it is like we love dark skin girls there's i know on twitter like all this praise of dark skin girls that exist nowhere in the real world and it's like it doesn't even have to be all of that like you allowing me to just live is enough and i don't need this to be any statement i'm not trying to be like a trend i'm not like this is literally my skin <laughs> like i was born yeah. with it like there is it's never going anywhere like it's not a statement it's not it shouldn't be inherently powerful i feel like i i understand like you know the history like that Celine was alluding to or it's speaking directly on actually about like the black power movement and you know us having to reassert our beauty and the power that is like blackness but at the same time i'm ready to get to a place where it's just skin because yeah. that's what it is to me <laughs> so Period. i really like the point about hair not being a statement or like okay now this is my transformation it's just like okay i changed my hairstyle or I didn't do anything but wash my hair. <laughs> and right. now we can have a whole <laughs> episode on hair because you why should. does me changing my hair have to be a whole event, bruh? 
like, <laughs> I do not need to go. It feels like I've changed my identity because people are like, who? Like, I thought your hair was... I'm like, no, no. This is, not a, this is not a Q&A. Okay. Oh my gosh, your hair grew so fast. Wow, I love <laughs> that color. Wow. And then the hand starts coming up and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that that could definitely be an episode of its own because that... Um, while it relates so close with colorism, I feel like it's just such a big topic on its own, and I feel like you could definitely give that some airtime as well. Yeah, we definitely. can call you back on for that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, Alicia, do you want to speak on whether or not you've experienced colorism in your life? Yes, I would like to speak on this. Well, frankly, not frankly, I don't have an experience as a lighter-skinned mixed person. Um, you know, my, I just have, my hair is looser, curly, and my skin is like lighter. I'm not like white skinned, but also it's weird because in the Bahamas, people can call me, like people have called me white. So I'm like, okay, uh, you, pers- like you call me white in relation to consider yourself white passing is my question you know I think about that so I think about that a lot actually my my initial answer would be no just because I've had experiences where like traveling with my family like with my white daddy and my black mom like we've been in in other countries like white majority countries like we were in Germany one time and like this really small town and people were just looking at like me and my family like we were like these freaking aliens like it was just so weird to see these mixed people together and like it made me I I think I was maybe like 10 when I first noticed that that was something that made me feel like weird or like so in in a situation like that I wouldn't say that I'm white passing because I can tell that all these white people around me perceive me to be different and like also seeing me with my black mom you know that I'm not white and I don't have white skin like I think I don't know I feel like you can look at me and see that I am not just white but also it's weird because it's like I am half white and as much as I would not like that to be the case it's like I still have this claim to white like who wants to be white but it's also like I still have this claim to whiteness you know what I mean so even though in my head I'm like yes I am a black woman it's also like okay I'm also a white woman maybe I don't know but like what does that mean because I feel like white women are such a unique (laughs) like white women are such a unique like group of people and I don't associate myself with white women but I think that's also one because my mommy is black And two, because I grew up in a majority black society. If I grew up in Germany and my mommy was white and my daddy was black, I would probably see myself as a white woman. Like, I I don't feel like a white person. Yeah, I think that's... So, it's just weird. Thank you for sharing that. That really got my mind going. I hope it's okay that I kind of felt it. But (laughs) I think I thought of two things um, with that. I think, firstly, I really believe that, like, everybody has experience with colorism but what that experience looks like is different based on the color of your skin so for me i can say my experience is somebody calling me blacky but for you i think there is a lot like there's this especially with being mixed race there is this kind of desirability that's so often attached to that 
And so I think the way you would experience colorism is more so, I don't, as a privilege in the sense that, like, even along the lines of desirability, if people like you, you would want to think that it's because of you have a great personality or because you're smart or because you're funny, which you are. However, like, for me, the way I see it, that is a part of it, too, because you wouldn't have this appearance or you may not have this appearance if you did not if you were not mixed race. Mm-hmm. And so to say that, like, you don't have experience with colorism is, like, interesting to me because I would argue that maybe you do and just don't yeah, realize because it is more of a privilege. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I would say that I wouldn't say that I have not had an experience with it. If, um, I would say that I've just had, I, I, I haven't had a negative experience. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm somebody that is privileged by, I'm a, a beneficiary of colorism. Like, I was thinking of, like, like you mentioned in high school, right, like, I ain't gonna call nobody name, but I'm thinking of, you know, the group of the girls who were like, you know, the desirable, pretty girls. And they were like they were lighter skin, let's say they were like they were light skin. They they were like me. So we were but I wouldn't okay, I wouldn't go so far as to I wouldn't say I was one of those girls who was desirable just because but I could have been if I presented myself in, in a in a manner similar to those girls. You know what I mean, right? So, you know, but like, but I so I, recently that's something that I've been thinking about is I think those girls were mainly just those desirable girls because in the Bahamas, boys really do, you could be, you could be ugly as I don't know what, and you light skin and you have curly hair and that's it. That's literally all you need. Definitely and just a little, a little bit red. of bungee and you straight, you could, that's literally all you need. So it's like, in theory, like, I could fall into that exact same category, and it would only be because I have lighter skin and curly hair, and that's mm-hmm. it. Exactly. <laughs> but honestly, <laughs> in primary and, like, in middle school, I would say, just being your darker friend, <laughs> that I saw you as a part of that group, as, like, mm. being desired because you're lighter. Because I feel like our group, in t- well... I'm like thinking of like our demographic and our group of friends that we had. We had a good. Are you talking about? I don't like know. I'm like thinking, I'm thinking in like primary grade six. Um, yeah. Then upwards, we had a healthy mix, but and it's but there was also I think a very clear. I wouldn't say like difference, but in terms of like. Yes, like you say, like this, this scale of desirability or whatever. I don't think it's like, it was, it's never a secret or something that's like hidden. I think they make it very obvious that they, that boys I'm talking about, that they will literally just prefer lighter skinned girls for that, own, for only that reason. Yeah, I, I think, sorry, Sweeney, were you? Yeah, I was just going to say this is a good segue into our next part about um, colorism in American society and Bahamian society, like looking at those differences. But yeah, go ahead, Alexis. Yeah, I mean, I can speak on that because it, I think it, it does kind of make a difference. I think, well, the first thing I want to say, like, Celine, when you were talking, or I guess both of you were talking about um, the friend group. And I think as young girls, like, the makeup of your friend group is just so important because you observe so much in that sense. And so I think like you all, I had a um, pretty healthy mix of friends in high school. I did go to an all black school. So all of my friends were identified as black. Um, 
but there was like we had a mixed race friend that was the lightest of us all and then i guess i'd be at the other end of the spectrum in the darkest and so we had a very like i think there were how many of us like six or seven i don't know six or seven of us like ranging in shade and hair mm-hmm. texture and we had darker girls with looser texture and then we had darker girls with coarse texture and then we had a mixed friend that has super long uh curly hair and like it was just a a, a lot going on in that friend group and i think that like we kind of had the same situation yeah yeah so like um i was able to kind of see and there are so many factors that go into it like the way you dress the way you carry yourself whatever like there's so much that goes into desirability but i think you can definitely see like clear differences in the way people are spoken about and treated because i think that me and my like the other darkest skinned person in the friend group got so much more disrespect and so many more i mean so much more like um so many more so much more jokes so many more jokes so many more jokes. yeah many yeah many so more jokes that, <laughs> so yeah we got a lot a lot more jokes um you know thrown our way um and even if it wasn't always a skin joke we definitely got so many more jokes than the other girls in our group but um i think to think about comparing like the u.s with the bahamas i think the biggest difference is the racial makeup like here you live in a majority black country and I would imagine that white supremacy is not necessarily at the core of everything that y'all do or all of your systems. I'm sure that that has a big, <laughs> that has a lot to do. I don't know. Well. I guess I can't claim that. I guess I think that's like any, everywhere in the world. <laughs> let me, let me, let me, let me backtrack. I think that white supremacy, white supremacy so, so, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, but so like the, I guess the way that like I perceive it, thinking about being in an all black country, you get to see so many more examples of blackness and you get to see people operate in so many different ways and look so many different ways because most of y'all are black. Mm-hmm. However, in the US, um, we are positioned so that we don't get to see the diversity of blackness. And what I mean by that is that like, for example, um, in Kansas City, segregation is really bad and that's how I ended up in an all-black school like we literally had one white person and I guess excluding the mixed kids one white person in the entire high school um all four years so even that is like okay so there's not really a whole lot of diversity and then we're all coming from like these specific areas in the city that are low income and that like most of our parents work certain jobs and like there's just a kind of like specificity about the type of black kids we were and were surrounded by so we didn't get to see even black teachers we didn't get to see black people in positions of power our nurses were not black you know we didn't really our like tech people were not black we didn't get to see like examples of that and so like all we had to aspire to were each other and our parents um, and that for me, uh, speaking on like representation, like it just wasn't there for most of my like upbringing. Mm-hmm. And so like that alone, I feel like makes a big difference. And in terms of colorism, like I think when you can attach 
so much to whiteness, like thinking about in a segregated city, all the best resources and all the best everything are in the white neighborhood. So as a child, it's so easy to like come up with the assumption that proximity to whiteness is the best thing for you. So whether proximity mean like physical proximity, like if you live in this neighborhood, or even if you live closer to this neighborhood, then you're better off. Or if you go to this school with all these white people, if you go to the white school, you're better off. If you play on the white team, you're better off. And so like skin is just another thing with that. Like, oh, if you have a white parent, okay, yeah, like you you probably cool, like, like or you probably have more money or whatever, which is not necessarily necessarily the case, but because we saw like the way segregation functioned in our own community as, a, as children, that's, those are the um, parallels that we drew. And so I think like now that I'm more of an adult and I can kind of have a more clear picture of like how colorism is functioning, I think that because like whiteness in this country is just so like overwhelming and just like everywhere you look, you see so such vivid examples of how we are literally indoctrinated to believe that whiteness is the best thing and how in media, like in all of the shows, all of the movies, or at least a good portion of them when I was growing up, if they didn't have all white characters, the one black person, especially black girls, which were really not in media as much as I would have hoped, mm-hmm. or as much as I needed as a child, it was this light-skinned mixed-looking girl, with a, if she had her hair natural, was just this curly long afro. And when you look around and you don't get to see, you don't get to see anybody that looks like that. And if you're like, okay, well, she made it to TV or thinking about like America's Next Top Model, like if they were either bald (laughs) or had like long long straight hair. And so you see all these examples of what is beauty and what is like something to aspire to. And none of it looks like you when you look around and you don't even see anybody that looks like that. Mm -hmm. I think it just like psychologically does so much um and now I know that like all of that goes back to white supremacy and I think in the U.S. it's just super important that they like you know make it so ingrained because like at the point that we start to reject white supremacy and reject colorism then I think there's more power like once black people can say like okay, I don't care what color you are. We're all black anyway. We all have the same struggle and colorism does more to divide us and hurt us than it does to help us. We're going to ignore that. And now we're going to focus our attention on something else. That becomes a problem. And I think in the U.S., because there are so many black people, that could be like a real issue. And so I'm sure the same would be in the Bahamas. But I guess I just get the impression that like, just hearing from Alicia about like, you know, being surrounded by other Black people and being able to kind of like sometimes put her whiteness to the side or like being in a position where you can see so many different examples of Blackness, you might have different experiences um, that I don't share with you all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something something I was thinking about is, um, I guess in my own experience, like yesterday we were driving through this um, marina at Cape Eleuthera, right? And um, so my mommy was driving and then we, it's like mostly white people, like we're white people with their boats that stay up in there. So um, I was just thinking about this, like when we first drove through, and this is something I noticed a lot actually in, in like NASA, right? 
if I was driving through an area where there's mostly white people and I was either by myself or with my daddy, they would probably like wave or acknowledge or, you know, say something or whatever. So yesterday when we first drove through, we saw these two white people out by their boat. They didn't wave. They didn't acknowledge us anything. They were probably like, what these, what these black people doing up in here? So I was like, okay. And I said something about it, but I was like, I didn't think too much about it then. But then I was like, you know, if I was driving through there with my daddy or like Wolf, my white brother, they probably would have waved at us or like said something or whatever, just because it's, I guess it makes more sense for them to acknowledge us because we're like, we're white looking. So then I think about myself in that situation. If I was riding through there with my daddy, would they look at me with this white man and be like, okay, yeah, like she with this white man. So she white, right? Like, so I'm like, but then when I'm with my black mummy, is it like, okay, there's three black women in this car. So I don't yeah. know, not related to what you were saying. I'm sorry. But, but kind of though, because about that, like, I think it's related because it speaks on like the experience of colorism in the Bahamas. I think though white supremacy in the Bahamas is not in any way the same extent that it is in America, I think it's very insidious in the Bahamas where people have, it's become to a point where people are like, oh, well, racism must not be a thing because it's a black majority, but that's not the case. It's just a black majority because that's where all the slaves were, you know, um, point blank, period. But, Mm -hmm. and I think because of that, colorism has played more of a role and like the privilege that you get being a, of a lighter complexion due to that idea of like what you said, Alexis, the proximity to whiteness. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the times if you are white passing or just of a lighter complexion, you are seen as, as of like higher status and darker skin behavior. And that's something that's like historically based, like that's Mm -hmm. something that happens time and time again. If you looked at the original police force in the Bahamas, they only hired lighter complexion police officers. It was initially made up of like all um, Bajan light skin police officers because they didn't trust the darker skin black population. All of that stuff is in our history. So colorism has always been a problem. And I think people think that racism in the Bahamas is not a thing because they don't make that connection between colorism and racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is such a good point because like in the definition that you read at the start of the episode like this colorism is something while it is something that usually happens like within a race it is absolutely something that is played on by like um what is that like outside cultures or like by white people i can say in the u.s like white producers and like whoever's the head of media in white America, they know like what they do and they know how important representation is, which is why they deprive us of it, I I believe. So like thinking about, like I said earlier about like how I think it is something to like keep us distracted and to like take away our energy and for us to like, and to divide us more. I think about like, thinking about history colorism as far as i know is was introduced like during or soon after no i guess during slavery really because you have this idea of like the house slave and the like field slave so even as early as that like especially considering how most of the lighter skinned slaves were light-skinned like were were children of rape because they they have this master that then has children with 
the slave. And so now you have this like mixed person. And so even as early as slavery, you have these connections between like whiteness and superiority, obviously as the slaves are black and the masters are white. But then even if you are mixed, you still kind of have this elevated status, even though that's a perfect example of like feel slave, house slave, you're still a slave. And so like that was just one means to um to divide us and then in the u.s after slavery you have this idea of the brown paper bag test and this is something that people often like cite when we have conversations of colorism like if you if your skin is lighter than a paper bag a brown paper bag then you you you're all right like you're cool you can be trusted like whatever and anybody darker than that is bad like yeah so thinking about like how insidious, like you said, and how intentional, insidious, but also just so meticulous and intentional Mm -hmm. these things are, it's like, I can totally understand like why it's like such an issue and why it's so ingrained in us today. But at the same time, it kind of saddens me that like we haven't been able to like, you know, break ourselves out of this after all of these years. Like, I'm I'm upset at like how successful the brainwashing is. I just think that last point just really reminded me just the fact that like black people continue to perpetuate colorism within our own community and like let it become a versus battle is ridiculous. Yeah. The fact that, that that rapper Mulatto is a thing, Lord be a fan because <laughs> I cannot believe that. Like in 2020, you would name yourself mulatto. Like, does she not know what that means? And like the things associated with that, ridiculous. I don't know. But there was um a video. Remember that video we watched um a couple weeks ago? It was this woman talking about one of her main points was that like you don't even need white people to perpetuate white supremacy. That even if you were to in the Bahamas have say we just lifted out all the white people, but then included in that also is like, okay, do you include um, Conky Joes who may have like a great, 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 great grandfather who was black or whatever. Anyway, all white passing people, whatever that may mean to the majority of people, like within the remaining population, you will still have that like hierarchy of like, that is perpetuated by colorism, which is literally what you guys were talking about. But I just think that, yeah, like you said, it's really sad how successful over centuries, like what we were talking about, Celine, just of like, what can we do? I'm thinking about here in the Bahamas, it's like, what what can can we we do? do? Because if you even (laughs) think about the fact that a lot of Bahamians will not recognize that racism is a problem here or that white supremacy is a problem, how do you even what do you do in this kind of like climate well i think the bohemian education system is like why why did i say that like yeah i think the bohemian education system is much to blame for bohemian belief that racism is no longer a thing in society and a thing of the past because if they understood the history of our systems they would realize how entrenched racism and white supremacy are in them and i think that's the first step is like a more comprehensive Bahamian history in primary and high school because yeah. the history that they're giving now clearly isn't doing anything to further the future generation. Because I think 
Bahamians continue, like, especially like the younger generation, you'd think that these um, ideas have kind of faded out, but a lot of the younger generation are super on this whole like light skin versus dark skin women. Like, why is that still a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think just for me personally, I think that the first step is like education of our history. So you can realize that racism is alive and well, just because you're the black majority, just because you're the majority in a country, doesn't mean you can't experience racism in the system called systemic yeah. racism. <laughs> I think it's really crazy too, because like, it totally makes sense to me why like, or how a Bahamian could be brought to believe that racism is a thing of the past. Yeah. And like, I know it's that- It's also a, a function of the brainwashing that we're- Yeah. And colonialism. <laughs> Yes, like all of that. I feel like that makes so much sense. But the craziest thing about the case in the U.S. is that like we don't even have to look back into history to see that white supremacy is still very much. And I, I like to use like white supremacy because I really feel like all of this is a function of white supremacy. I think like white supremacy is like, you know, so is the the seed and then birth from that are like roots of racism and colorism and all these things colonialism. that colonialism and um all of these things capitalism yeah all of the things <laughs> like all i honestly truly believe that like white supremacy is at the center of all of these concepts and so for me in the u.s like being american it blows my mind where you can literally have black people who look at you in your face and tell you that they are not affected by white supremacy or racism and we can have these systems and people can talk about like oh look back like we're not slaves anymore i've heard so many people say well we're not oh, slaves I anymore i hate that but and then they but then so yeah <sighs> yeah they look back and say okay we're not slaves anymore this is we have all these rights like we're we're past that but then still say they they prefer foreign baddies or they have all these like preferences like not foreign oh, baddies. Like, <laughs> they want a, a a yellow bone red bone blue bone <laughs> and they don't realize how that is a function of white supremacy and it's sickening and it's not even i'm not even talking about you know this whole thing with the police um or things with like um job discrimination or any type of discrimination that's still very obvious and alive in the u.s like that should be enough to convince people that you know white supremacy is still like has a really tight grip on us but even the more like insidious functions of white supremacy such as colorism and this idea of like the preference for lighter skinned women or women that have some type of like exoticism to them as perceived by whoever um the fact that we can't even like see it is like really scary and it like i said earlier like i'm upset that the system is functioning this well and i feel like white supremacy is so powerful because it has all of these like babies like colorism and like capitalism and all these things where it's like well that doesn't really have anything to do with white supremacy but it does and the fact that these things can sustain themselves is like really scary because like that means that the the tool is working yeah and it's just that yeah. much harder to work to get rid of that thing yeah we also want to talk about representation because it came up a few times when we spoke about our specific experiences with colorism in our childhood 
So I think it would be good to talk about representation now and whether or not we think it's improved in any way. What do you think, Alexis? Um, okay. So I have a lot of thoughts about this. First, I think that like as a child, like I watch like mostly like Disney Channel and like all the things that most kids watch. And I really don't remember there really being like a whole lot of black women. And if there were black women, they weren't dark skinned. Like the darkest person I can remember was Raven. And we all know that she is mixed and she's not um she's mixed with every continent in the world <laughs> except for one um and so like i don't really have memories of like black girls on tv and i was just like oh my gosh i love her like i could think about like representation in the sense of like brats dolls and i'm like oh like sasha she's brown and she has like big lips and she's so cute um or like things like that, but as in like TV, I don't have those memories. I remember like watching shows and movies with like my parents, like as I got a little bit older. So I remember like Gabrielle Union, which I like loved her and she was like so beautiful to me. And she was like one of those people where I was just like, okay, I love her, I wanna be her. But yeah, so like I remember um, watching like certain movies and like seeing certain actresses and it was like, oh, like, wow, like, that's cute or whatever, but I don't remember having like a role model or somebody who I was like, oh my gosh, like I love her so much. Like I want to be her. My role model was Angelina Jolie and I like, <laughs> obviously I don't have very much in common with her, but I feel like that's because like I didn't really see that. And even Gabrielle Union, like she wasn't at that time, she wasn't in so many movies where I was just like, okay, like just checking for her to see like what her next thing was gonna be. But I do remember seeing like Brandy in uh, what was her show, um, Moesha, or seeing like the Parkers with Monique. Or I used to love and as inappropriate as she was, I loved some more as a kid growing, not a small child, Who but like. You? Samor is a um, she is a comedian. She's so funny. Look her up. How do you even spell that? I think it's like S Y M O R E. Aside from like very few like examples, just sparsely in certain TVs and shows. Um, as a child, I do not remember there being that much representation, and I also remember when I did see darker skinned black women, I didn't think of it as much as representation because I didn't feel like they were representing me. Like the only, if the only time I saw um, darker skinned black women in shows and TV was when I was watching TV with my mom and they were all adults. I didn't feel like I was Tony Childs, you know, like I didn't feel yeah. like I didn't even, I couldn't even really feel like Brandy. Cause like, I just, I was a child. And so like, I didn't have that and I didn't realize like how much that had impacted me because until I realized as I got older that wow like I couldn't even imagine these things because I never saw them um and the people that I admired so much most of them were not darker skinned black women as a child I admired Beyonce I loved Beyonce but I wasn't checking for Kelly Rowland you know or like the people that I just looked up to the most in my childhood, they weren't an image of me. So yeah, I, short answer, like 
or yeah, short, long story short, the representation didn't exist. And I think that, that seeing how kids grow up now or like being in the position I am now, I can see just how important that really is. And I can only imagine how much better off I would have been if I would have had that representation. Yeah. I think even like today, I wouldn't say that it's, it's become better. Like I was thinking of something you mentioned the other day with like YouTubers, right? Like if you wanted to find a, a makeup tutorial on YouTube, it would be so difficult for you maybe to find someone who has like your skin tone and uses products that you like can use easily. Like the only person I'm thinking of right now is Jackie Ina, but Jackie Ina is not super dark. And I don't know, that's just something that I was thinking about. And like even going on YouTube to figure out how to do a hairstyle, it it may be so hard for you to find somebody who has hair like you that you can. Or like having to even do the thing of like, like, even now today, if I'm going to type in, like, oh, yeah. makeup, look, I'm going to always put in dark skin yeah. and, like, search, search, search. Or when I'm typing in natural hair, even though I don't know that, I don't think I have 4C hair, like, I'm going to type uh, twist out on 4C hair because yeah. I know that that's going to be the person. And a lot of times, those people who post videos with the 4C tag don't even have her. So, like, I've not even seen that many, like, 4C medium length women doing tutorials about how to use how to work with their hair and I see all these products like no shave like Carol's daughter and like like curly curly diva whatever the the brands are that do <laughs> <laughs> check, check like it's like <laughs> anyway yeah I just like in every single like avenue is if it's hair even the girl on the just for me box wasn't dark skin so like there there was no place in which i could see myself and be like oh okay like that's cool like i can be myself and and somebody else is doing that too so we all were aspiring for the same image that wasn't even us or a reflection of us mm-hmm. i think because of the lack of representation I had as a child, I actively like seek out people that look like me to follow on Instagram and on YouTube and stuff because it really helps with like my perception of self and not like going back to how I was where I would look at other people and be like, oh, well, maybe I should look like this. Like, I think Instagram really pushes racially ambiguous women on everyone and on the algorithm. And I'm like, that's not me. And that's not how I look. So it doesn't help if I'm like trying to combat this like history I have of like comparison, if I'm putting these people in my feed and stuff like that. But I will plug um, like my hair journey. This YouTuber who's been really helpful. Her name is Chizzy Duru on YouTube. And she's super helpful. She has 4C hair. And I'm like, her tutorials and like her like journey and hair stuff has been super helpful with me. Also, Jackie Ina was, like, one of the first YouTubers that I was, like, oh, wow, this is, like, kind of me, like, my complexion and all that stuff, and I was, like, okay, this stuff can work on me, because I remember when I was first buying makeup, like you said in your story earlier, that was the first time I was, like, I need to figure out, like, what shade I am, and, like, also the shade names of foundations for Black people, I wish they would stop calling us food. Coffee, mahogany. Yeah, chestnut. Like, the one I don't like is NARS. NARS be like, 
the darker skin things are from like countries that usually have darker people i guess like new orleans um anyway different locations around the world macau all that stuff and i'm like how y'all i don't say its name y'all i don't know albania (laughs) europe (laughs) (laughs) nars is dragging us Uh, i was just thinking about is also like how it's not accurate for me like someone like me to be like oh i don't experience colorism because in representation for example like thinking about growing i don't have much memory of my thoughts growing up but i mean a lot of the tv that i watched and stuff was also like disney channel and it was like you know hannah montana and whatever and like although like no i can't see myself in this white blonde woman hannah montana but at the same time like I don't know I'm thinking about when when I was into like makeup and whatever and I would you know be watching these YouTube girls I was watching like you know friggin Bethany Moda and whatever these girls you know like white white YouTube makeup girls but I never had like a thought like oh this girl doesn't look like me at all so it would be so hard for me to recreate this look or whatever like so thinking about that is also such a a privilege that I would have never recognized that because even though I knew that oh I, I don't have the same shade of white skin as Bethany Moda I still know that like I could still use these colors on my eye and it would probably still look good you know what I mean right but, so that's just something I was thinking about yeah. I feel like super random I don't I think everyone hated this show but Ant Farm on Disney Channel with China and McLean is when I first felt seen <laughs> I feel like <laughs> Her and also That's So Raven, um, because I always wanted to be Raven Baxter. I thought she dressed, is that, was that her last name? Yeah. yeah, I thought she dressed so cool, and I was like, oh my god, that's how I'm going to be when I grow up. And also, she was in the Cheetah Girls, and I thought she was the best Cheetah Girl. And that was also a thing, because she was the dark, was she the darkest Cheetah Girl? Yeah. Well, yeah. wasn't the one dark? Well, I don't know if she was darker. They was probably about the same complexion. But anyway, she was like dark. She was darker, and she was like the lead in the Cheetah Girls. And I was like, yes. Who? But I'm for the makeup. She was Raven was a little chunky. Like she wasn't like yeah. You know, super yeah. skinny. She first of all, she made Disney Channel what it is. She took it to where it needed to be, and I think Disney Channel owes her. Um, their lives basically is what I'm saying but yeah Chana and McLean definitely felt represented represented through her um she was super smart and all that stuff on that show so we stand oh yeah they look the same. What was Keely? not in the show but that's her real name oh I, I don't even remember watching these but even they were just so light like Adrian Bailon how is Adrian the same color as they damn she did near the same color they all the same color for real if you squint yeah it- <laughs> Not if you squint. <laughs> Representation. That's the ooh. So we should talk about like that idea. One of the most like sorry, like one of the most like diverse kind of like Disney movies. Like absolutely, this was the, the only other thing that had kind of what I'm thinking. Maybe High School Musical had some people, but High School Musical was literally just white people and then light skinned black people. And maybe was there well, even a dark? That was one dark skinned black girl in that. Well, like we, the thing is, they will literally throw like one dark character and be like, "Here you go, Re- yeah. feel represented." And it's like, well, she was like the only one in their little friend group who didn't really have nothing going on. Mm-hmm. But they gave Corbin Blue 
all the space and attention to do around and do uh, yeah. herkies and toe touches <laughs> and everything like that. And then there was that one basketball player guy, but he was... He wanted to be a chef, but they were like, play basketball, shut up and dribble. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, <laughs> problematic. Oh, that, oh. Um, yeah. Like other things, but... Oh, we, you wanted to talk about Blackish, Alicia. Oh, you wrote that down. You were like, oh, yeah, I was thinking. It's a mess. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. What the woman named? Tracy Ellis Ross. Yeah. Um, the man, the daddy. Why don't you just talk shit about the show? Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's just also, I guess, um, Blackish, I don't know. I feel like they tried to make it seem like Blackish was like this great, like, breakthrough like such a great representation of like you know great black family but it's also like okay they're like super rich they're all pretty light-skinned like who's the darkest one in that family the like, twins are the darkest yes. no uh what's the what's oh the, the sister Marcy. Marcy. Marcy, yeah. um i don't know her last name but her in the sh- yeah in the show her name is diane um i was reading this article about how like her character is now like kind of driven by her colorist experiences I guess like a lot of the times the episodes when they focus on her they deal with that and I'm like why does her you know existence in the family have to be defined by that but also I'm like maybe it's good that they're putting it on television I always go back and forth with Blackish because they kind of propose it like ooh, this is a blended American family but then it's like is it really Oh, that also just made me think of that show, that other show. Hold on. What's the other show that Yara Shahidi was in? The Grownish. Grownish? Oh, not Grownish. Um, one with, with I was of they're white people. That's they, what I was oh, They're white I hate people. That show. That was a mess. That um, show started off as like, yes, this is like representation. But then when you think about it, the main character is a light skinned, mixed race woman. Yeah. And then she's dating a white man. Um, and then all the dark-skinned Black characters are, like, dealing with all this trauma and going through it. And I'm like, what is this? And it's supposed to be, like, dear white people, like, oh, this is an educational show for white people. I'm like, yeah. I do yeah. not understand. But I guess, I don't know, my, my conclusion is that I don't think representation today, if anything, I think it's worse than it was. Yeah, because it's because like I was. I'm thinking of like all these sitcoms and shows that were on TV, like Family Matters. That was a good show. Family Matters, Girlfriends, Wayne's Brothers, um, uh, My Wife and Kids. Oh yeah, that was a good show. Even though that was also kind of messed up because how they, yeah, had they replaced the dark-skinned daughter with a lighter, oh. anyways, child. Yeah, like they always doing weird stuff, but like you know where the it's Prince of Bel Air. Yeah. yeah. So I guess yeah. To answer your question, Celine, I would probably agree that like representation has gotten worse. Um. Or I don't remember who actually that was. But yeah, <laughs> I think like, representation has gotten worse because of like those shows were so commonplace, and I actually forgot about them when thinking about representation. Because one, I think a lot of it is because like when we talk about representation for Black people, those are shows that really represented Black people, but they did not represent dark-skinned Black women. Even in My Wife and Kids, when they took out Black Claire, they put in, I was going to say White Claire. <laughs> Miss Cat, whatever she was, Claire. Yeah. And uh, Tina Campbell is also a very light-skinned woman. Tisha. Tisha Campbell, sorry. In 
um Wayne's Brothers. Uh, is that um that's the one where they had no? I'm thinking of the Jamie Foxx show. In the Jamie Foxx show, Jamie was lusting after I don't remember her name in the show or in real life, but she was also of a lighter complexion and had like nice hair and all of these things that you know we chase after. And Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, they do and- so dirty. Yeah, like replacing on Viv and also like um and also just like all the stuff that surrounded her like exiting the show mm-hmm. but also like thinking about the way dark-skinned black women were represented like they weren't so or um what's the little sister's name um on what show yeah and on fresh prince Ashley. Yeah, but we didn't even see that much of Ashley. Right? I loved Ashley. I always wanted to be like her. We loved Ashley. She was so cute, so whatever. But also at the same time, like you said, of blackish, like the representation like came along with so much stuff. Like in all of these shows, well, not in all of them, but in the Fresh Prince, for example, where you do have the character of Ashley, like these people are so rich. You know, they have all of these like, things that's okay yeah they're black but they're not like this kind they're of not black. really rep- they're not they're not yeah like in any of these shows okay yeah they're black but they're not like they're that, not average they're not normal they're not average they're yeah average. it's like this exceptionalism that is like literally in every single yeah. black show yeah it, that's such a good point i'm sorry to like interrupt but i was you just like literally made me realize this whenever it's like representation of black people on a tv they always have to be like wealthy or like doing well for themselves and i'm like is that to like subvert the stereotype that all black people are poor but then that also negates the fact that they're normal black people just you know middle class just chilling and i do think that moesha the show moesha i feel like maybe one really good example of like an average black family wherein yeah family matters is another yeah. example of a just like average black family but i'm thinking about moesha specifically because Moesha is the main character and she is black and she is like considered really desirable. People love her, whatever. But also I think there are some other things in that show, like the way they treated um some girl from the Parkers. Oh, I know what you mean. Contest Vaughn's character. Like their the best friend. Yeah. Like I feel like there was like some fat like fat phobia undertones in that show. And like mm-hmm. there's some stuff like that we won't escape in, in the sense of like, okay, it's the two thousand people are not thinking about these things. But, like, that's one example of, like, a show that I felt, like, was a good representation. Or I think about um, Queen Latifah and um, Maxine Shaw. Oh, Living Single. That wasn't even our generation. But in Living Single, like, seeing Maxine Shaw, who has her little braids, and seeing all these Black people just be regular Black people. They don't really have that much money. They, you know, have their struggles and concerns. But, like, you know, Maxine Shaw does, like, find love, and she is, like, a character who's, like, quick on her toes, but she's, like, she's not necessarily a stereotype. Like, she got it going on, and seeing things like that, you know, is important, but I didn't watch those shows. Even Moesha, I wasn't watching it with the lens of, oh, like, that's what representation is. Like, oh, I I feel good about that, because, again, I was a child, so I wasn't, I didn't even have that kind of awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. thinking about how like um we have so 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 many shows of just like kind of average white people you know regular white people and 
where there's no equivalent. The only thing I can think of that's kind of like an equivalent is family matters. I'm thinking of, you can compare that kind of to like a full house kind of vibe. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're just kind of average, but you have so many shows where it's like, you know, that show, um, what is it? What was, what was it called? Malcolm in the middle? Was it that, you know, that show? Yeah. Oh, that's like one, was that like blackish? Well, I mean, it's like just, this <laughs> It's like a white blackish. Like they just like it's just a family, and they just like be a family. But or they, they were struggling though. They, they were struggling. struggling. They were. There's, there's also this one white show where they grew up like in 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 the in the farmland, but in the Midwest. So oh, I've watched it, and it's yeah. like yeah. What is it called? Dumb brother. There's one with a tick, and then Axel, there's a- What's his name? What's that show called? the sister's kind of like quirky and weird and they're like this working class white family and you have so many shows like that that show was actually really funny i watched the whole show that was good i don't remember the name i'm like yeah i don't remember average kind of working class white sitcom family show but it's like who can relate to this other than other working class white people but the fact that you have those examples like you have all of these shows i think about like sex in the city which is just like white women being white women or you have like How I Met Your Mother, which is literally just about white people just existing and like literally they're not doing anything. Like, is there? There's so many of those shows of just white people just literally just being white people. Mm-hmm. Race is not like even blackish. Like the fact that the show even has to be called blackish. Like, and the fact that they made a spinoff called Mixedish. Who is asking for that? Yeah. What is, what is that even about? What it's about Bo, Bo, the mom, when she's a child and her experience as, like, being mixed race and, like, the her struggle. Yeah, no, you were saying about how, like, um, a lot of those shows are just white people being white people. Why do, I, like, why do shows about Black people always have to deal with the traumas of being Black? Like, not every day for me is a traumatizing experience, you know what I mean? I'm going to the grocery store and coming home. That is my normal life. Like, why does everything have to be, like, here's today's episode on colorism. Here's, well, I mean, we're doing that right now. But, like, I don't know. I just, like, why does every episode have to be about an issue? Like, that can be something that occasionally happens because that is a part of the Black experience. But I just don't think that characters have to be defined by that. You know what I mean? I think that's, like, the beauty of a show like um, Girlfriends. I know Girlfriends has, like, its flaws and, like, a lot of things going on in there. But, like, in the show girlfriends like everybody has like their issues but none of their issues are necessarily about them being like black women and even though things come up here and there i feel like something i really appreciated about the show was that like for me it was just oh this is how black women are as adults like this is what i can expect for my black adulthood to look like like and that was just like what i got got out of it but have one have y'all like seen the show and if so like what are your thoughts about like on a show like girlfriends that does have like kind of more of a spectrum of like black women and yeah no i've not seen it i started it and i finished the first season and i really like it like it's such a light-hearted show and you just get to see black women like laugh and be great you get to see a dark-skinned woman tony child's my queen be, like desired by like uh, like everyone and like super confident in herself which is something you never see um even though obviously she has her own struggle with like colorism um which they bring up but don't really deal with that much which i'm kind of like eh, could have <laughs> explored that a little bit more but i think that 
the range of women and like how they're unique in their own way and just seeing them be black women on television is so like cool and just fun I don't know how else to describe also like they deal with a lot like even though it's like very like normal and it's like for laughs they had that episode where they talked about um it was like Joan and Maya I think and they were talking about how like Joan um kind of looked like they thought Joan looked down on Maya because um of the way she speaks or stuff like that so also that whole idea of like code switching um that they dealt with in that episode but overall I actually really like the show not gonna lie yeah I mean I really like it too I've I've seen I think like the first three or four seasons of it I watched it like as a kid or like as a younger person and I'm watching it again like on Netflix now and I feel like it's a good example of like like you said, like, it's just lighthearted humor. And even though, like, they do take certain episodes to, you know, address certain things, they do still add that, like, humor element just for entertainment purposes. But I appreciate the fact that um, they do have storylines that do not have anything to do with them, you know, being Black women. And I think that, like, in some ways, like, it does... I don't know, like, I feel like there are certain elements of, like, stereotyping in the show, and I don't want to, like, talk about it too much because I don't want to spoil it for you, but, like, there are certain things where it's, like, okay, the way that, like, Tony and Maya act, like, in various ways versus the way Joan and, um, what's home girl? Probably never know her name. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I forget her name. Uh, Lynn. Lynn. The way, like, um, Joan and Lynn act, or the fact that, like, you know, um, Lynn has this absent Black father, or just, like, all these things that, like, happen. But at the same time, I feel like it's, it kind of evens out in the sense that, like, everybody has problems. And, like, while Tony has, like, it's revealed later that, like, Tony does have, like, a lot of, like, self-esteem issues and things like that, so does Joan. And you can see, like, how... Tony can say, okay, well, you know, I'm acting this way because I don't feel like I am a bar, like I'm, I don't, I'm not the, the mold or I'm this dark skinned woman and I have like all these things that are attached to that. Whereas Joan has issues as well, but for different reasons. And like, I think there's a quality of just like realness to it that I really appreciate. And I wish we could see more of that. Like if, when I was a child, like, I'm so glad we had shows like, or a show that was that so Raven, but I wish that like, that was more commonplace. And it's kind of sickening now that the only reason we have those shows today is for the sake of representation. Whereas before, I don't even think that Girlfriends was doing it or was, was for the purpose of being like, oh, like we want to, you know, give something to the black girls so they can see themselves in us. I think they were literally just making a show that ended up having a lot of black people involved in the process. Like I think um, a lot, or some of the writers were black, like they had a lot of black people on their team to create that. And so they were telling a black story, but not in the same way as like blackish, which is like trying to put like black people, like, or it's trying to like showcase a black you know like yeah 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 it seems more performative yeah and much more yeah. like let me give you some crumbs 
and just take it yeah and that's it because i feel like it wasn't even a question like back then the conversation wasn't about representation i don't think i think a lot more it's about representation and i think i have an issue now is because i think a lot of things that even though i'm happy that they will be creating content where black people will be the focus hopefully and they'll do it like in the right way and that means that more black um actors and writers will get more opportunities but at the same time i'm like i think a lot of people are like saying that these things are happening because of like the black lives matter um movement or like resurgence that happened um during this whole like this year basically and that shows are being created because they're like in light of black lives matter we think that xyz like or you could have just like done that in the first place you know what i mean like you know the i don't know if you guys watch big mouth um but the what's her name the the black character on the show was voiced by a white woman and she suddenly was like, ooh, I probably shouldn't be voicing this Black character. Like, did it, like, and then, like, everyone's acting like Black Lives Matter was some kind of, like, awakening for them. So I'm like, are you, were you racist before? I'm confused. So I don't know. It's just weird. And, like, why did, like, why does, some, why does something like that have to make you think that representation for Black people is something that we deserve? You know what I mean? And also, like, what qualifies you to tell us what we deserve? A whole other topic, I guess. How do y'all feel like media representation or lack thereof actually perpetuates colorism? Okay, yeah. And is it, does it do so in a specific way, like in the Bahamas? I would say that it does perpetuate it because if you only see um, lighter skinned women um, being like the main. <laughs> yeah or yeah being the lead role in things or being the romantic interest whereas like darker skin black women are like the funny sidekick and comedic relief but never really desired by people and not even like desired but just having their own um independent narrative in the um the show or movie or whatever um so i think in that way yeah it does perpetuate colorism two things i was thinking of that are more bahamian centered i guess are one a recent um modeling show no say the name say their names called one of a kind uh face of one of a kind it's a competition show where bahamian models kind of get their big break based on it so there was like um a whole thing where i don't know if it was the director or people like actually involved with like the casting of the show but they basically made it they they basically said like um because people i think people brought attention to the fact that a lot of the models that they chose to be on the show were like light skinned there were like two white people and not like dark skinned like, no dark skinned people it was like brown light white and that's mm-hmm. it and people were bringing attention to that and they they basically were like well okay like, what do you want us to do put out a flyer saying dark skins only that's not what they said but like that's the gist of what they said uh, and then it ended up being one of the two white contestants that won and um there were so i when i was watching it like there were these there were two models in particular that were darker skinned girls and they were like incredible 
The yeah, they didn't win. The one who had the shaved head. Yeah. I was yeah. like, okay, she win, she win, she win. Period. That's it. And I was really expecting her to win. Someone so had cool. made a comment. I am not going to say who it is, but they made a comment saying that in the fashion industry, now they're calling for more darker skinned models. And therefore they feel like they are now experiencing like, just not discrimination, but being left out because now it's like, ooh, we want darker skinned models. What are your thoughts on this? Do you feel like there's a reverse colorism slash prejudice? I just think that um, Bahamians kind of have made a joke of what colorism is and how like it really is entrenched in our society and the standards of beauty as Bahamians. And I think um, that show just kind of is a testament to that. And also the reactions of different people who are like, what do you mean? Look at all these dark people here. And it's like, you know that darker people exist than brown skin, right? Yeah. And something else that I was thinking about was like, this could be a whole thing, but I was thinking of like tourism ads and travel ads and stuff. And even thinking about like when you walk through the airport, right? Something else that I was thinking about was like a live ads, BTC ads, like, you know, Bahamian ads that is be on the TV. They're mostly, they'll most, if it's a family, right? It's a light, really light skinned woman, a kind of brown man and maybe some mixed looking kids and it's really not even representative of the average bahamian family so i'm like what's really going on if you walk through the airport the alive cell phone ads are two light-skinned people that i ain't called nobody two light-skinned people and i'm thinking even on when you watch the news like um that e what, what's the bahamian not zns the other one but there's this one reporter that i'm thinking of and there was a couple who are like you know, like lighter skin women. I think we have a lot of, there's a lot of over-representation of like mixed Bahamian people. And I think because it's so common, people have internalized it and seen it as normal. Yeah. Um, therefore they don't think like, oh, maybe there should be like dark people or they make it like a joke, like what do you want us to do? Just place an ad for dark skin people. It's like, if darker skinned, like going back to like the model thing if models have seen that they cannot win on this show or they won't win because of the color of their skin why are they going to audition you know what i mean um so it's like up to y'all to change that not to not even be yeah i saw her pictures with the dog i was like what like i don't know i think that was really like a lot i think a lot of that just had to do with like the winners um fame oh yeah kind of tiktok famous or whatever so i was like y'all ain't even subtle with it like the 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 creator of the show is a dark-skinned guy but i think a lot of like like you said a lot of behaviors are not even aware that this is like a thing so this guy making the show wouldn't even be like you know what let me intentionally cast more dark-skinned people to you know encourage yeah, but see, I think the thing about that too is just that, like, I think men, even dark skinned men, still do not have an understanding because they are situated differently than dark skinned women. And I think a lot of it does have to do with desirability, and I hate that we have to keep going back to this, but I really feel like it has so much to do with that because I know a lot of dark skinned men who don't really feel the effects of colorism as strongly or they don't feel like colorism touches them because there are so many women that are seeking 
the sexy chocolate men and like wanting a dark skinned yeah like a dark skinned daddy like that's something that they like I think that's something that a lot of um women outside of the black race like fetishize I think that even black women oftentimes are like looking for darker skinned black like I know that I prefer like darker skinned people but I also think that that is like a response to the lack of desirability that I experience um but at the same time like men don't black men dark-skinned black men definitely do not experience colorism in the same way because there is not as much of a lack I don't know like they are represented in media and shows like most of the biggest um actresses that we know and love are darker skin I think about like Denzel Washington he's dark skin um homeboy from Idris Elba is is very dark skin what's his name from um oh he's so cute too the one from love lovecraft country no not that one what movie is he in i can literally see his face who trevante rhodes no 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 but yes no but yes <laughs> oh adrian loves him um what's his name yeah 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 yes yes he is why no He's not on Lovecraft Country. Not? That's not the main guy. No, he's not. Well, I know who you mean. What show is he? Why do I see his? He's on the other show that I watched, Watchmen, with Regina King. Uh huh. Anyway, trying to figure out what's his last name. I do not remember. I can barely remember the first name. Yeah, true. But yeah, so I feel like we see these like black, dark-skinned black men who are like so desired and so uplifted. To the point to where dark-skinned black men can see that and like want that for themselves even though like there is definitely still a dark skin light skin like debate going on even amongst men i feel like dark-skinned black women are really really getting the short end of the stick especially when it comes to like those types of like media gigs like modeling and acting and even singers like i don't know that many dark-skinned black singers I think about like Lizzo I think about Mary J Blige Ari Lennox Ari Lennox but these aren't even Jay-Z yeah Jay-Z right what the hesitance (laughs) right well yeah like I feel like those are not even people that we like lift up that much I think the act in fact these women get a lot of flag. Now, I don't know about Mary J. Blige. Like, she's a legend. People love her. But I think about, like, Lizzo, and I think about even Ari Lennox, and I think about, like, uh, like Tiana Taylor and the things that people say about her, even though she's, you know, gorgeous and talented and all these great things, she still doesn't get the recognition she deserves. She doesn't get the respect. And people still say very vicious things about her that I feel like are still rooted in colorism and anti-Blackness. So, like, yeah, because I don't think we even touched on, like, how a lot of the times dark-skinned women are, like, likened to men or, like, seen as, like, hyper-masculine or something like that or animalistic in a way, which is racist as fuck. You see that a lot with Serena Williams. And- yes, my queen Serena Williams. I wish <clears throat> that's pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs>
This is a conversation that definitely will continue and we'll have a second part to talk about this because there's so much that we haven't covered. I definitely encourage the people who are listening to continue this conversation amongst yourselves and in your circles. Think about how colorism has affected your life, how you've eternalized, eternalized, internalized that and what, like, what can we do to improve that? Like speaking not only to Bahamians, but people listening in other places, like how can you negate the perpetuation of colorism in your own circle is what I would put forward. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Alexis. It's been great having you. Yes, it's been thank so you. much fun. This was such a great conversation and it's really made me reflect and think about a lot of things. So well, um, thank you all for listening. Yes, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please leave us a review wherever you're listening. Follow us on Instagram at Link Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Link Pod. Um, leave any comments, suggestions, and feedback on what you enjoyed about the episode or what we can do to improve. And we will see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.